Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, with your 2023 NXT Stand and Deliver instant analysis from your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right. Getting over is back for the fourth time in five days as our WrestleMania 39 week spectacular continues this afternoon. We are here to break down the results from NXT stand and deliver with grades and analysis for every single match, as well as where NXT is going coming out of its biggest show of the year. Of course, we will be back later Saturday evening with WWE WrestleMania 39 night one instant analysis. And again on Sunday night with instant analysis from night two of WrestleMania 39. If you have not already, be sure to listen to our WrestleMania 39 ultimate preview podcast in our feed from Tuesday and check that episode description for a timestamp so you can jump right into the meat of that show, our picks and predictions. It's a crazy schedule here this week for getting over those instant analysis podcasts are coming on Saturday and Sunday. And then on Tuesday, we will be back with a raw after WrestleMania episode for seven podcasts in eight days, along with two live WrestleMania pre-shows coming up on Twitter spaces. You can get those by following us on Twitter at getting overcast. If you wish to acknowledge us and or support the podcast, Getting Over This Week opened the equivalent of a Patreon through buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. The link is in our Twitter bio at Getting Overcast and in our feed. You can become an official Getting Overhead with a monthly or annual subscription, and you can receive a bunch of exclusives, including extra audio, news posts, all that kind of stuff. And if you don't want to do that, you just want to support the show, you can buy us a couple beers through that exact same platform by clicking the support button. Folks, the price is right on this, because as you know, I happen to love the number five. And don't you worry, Getting Over will remain a free podcast. These are just extras. We hope you guys support us, uh, but the show will remain free and usually ad-free as well. Almost out of the way and into the instant analysis, a couple other quick notes. First, a reminder about what this podcast is all about. It's all about So be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Leave a five-star written review for the show. If you do, we will read it live right here on the podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can vote in pre- and post-show polls, which many of you have already done for NXT Stand and Deliver, but you can vote in them for WrestleMania. You can join the live shows on Twitter Spaces. You can also get episode drops, news analysis highlights, and so much more, all by following us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Cast. Okay, let's get into the NXT stand and deliver instant analysis. We have a ton to talk about from the show, all the matches themselves. We will end it with a reminder of what our pre-show expectation grades were. And then, of course, give a final grade for NXT stand and deliver 2023. One note on the way into the show before we get into the breakdown of all the matches. This crowd in Los Angeles on Saturday afternoon on the East Coast morning on the West Coast It absolutely sucked. There's not many other ways to say it. It was probably the worst big show NXT crowd that I can remember night and day from the last one we got at a premium live event. And a large part of it was that start time. The show began at 10 a.m. local time, really 9 a.m. if you include the kickoff show. 
That's just a rough ask of fans, especially a lot of wrestling fans that were probably at shows Friday night. We had ROH Supercard of Honor, SmackDown, and the Hall of Fame. Imagine going to the Hall of Fame. That thing ends at like 12.45 Eastern. So I guess 9.45 Pacific, you finally get home. Maybe you have dinner, whatever the case. And then inside of like 10 hours after that, you have to get up and go back to the same arena for the show. You're going to be exhausted. So, you know, that some of that is understanding, but there is no one out there in this country eating eggs and watching American wrestling. That just doesn't happen. Now, if they do future WrestleManias out on the West Coast, they are going to have to move the time at least, but definitely the date of this NXT show because this just did not work. Even as the show got later on and you think, oh, it's now the afternoon, fans are going to get better, louder, more excited. The crowd kind of just sat on its hands. It really struggled to be vocal in big spots. And the, the shot across the hard cam for most of the show, it looked like people watching figure skating or something. It was kind of annoying. So I just want to put that out at the top because it did affect the way I perceived many of the matches on the show and perhaps the way the crowd in attendance did as well. So let's get into it all. We'll start with the main event, the NXT Championship, Braun Breaker defending against Carmelo Hayes. Trick Williams did his now standard introduction with the retired jerseys, which were all Laker jerseys. Melo then entered in purple and gold. He had Kobe Bryant's eight on his knee as a Lakers style Carmelo Hayes logo filled the Titantron. The guy looked like a megastar with his entrance. Braun got a doghouse style entrance because he's got that dog in him. It paled in comparison. Fans were firmly behind Mello, and there was an NXT chant at the bell. Mello mocked Braun early doing a break instead of his balling. Uh, then he slipped on a springboard but came back, hitting it only for Braun to no-sell with a shoulder tackle as he mocked Mello doing balling himself. Breaker hit a standing moonsault. Trick then helped Mello out of a torture rack only to be properly ejected by the referee, and Breaker hit a huge toe pick on Hero on both of them outside. Mello came back with a lifted cutter plus an awesome vertical suplex, taking Braun from the ring apron over the ropes, but he did it while he was seated on the middle rope. I've legitimately never seen that before. Uh, Braun sprung to the top rope out of nowhere for an avalanche Frankensteiner. Then off a counter, he speared Mello and the referee simultaneously. Breaker got the Steiner recliner with Hayes tapping out, but there was no one there to get the fall. So Williams ran back in from the crowd with a belt shot to Breaker's back. Then he revived the referee before hightailing it out of there. But all that led to was a well-timed 2.99 false finish. Braun got up, he caught Mello springing, and he went to do the press power slam. But Mello countered that midair into a code breaker. Then he hit nothing but net his finisher. He hit that clean for the one, two, three to become the new NXT champion in 16 minutes. The crowd came alive for the sequence. They loudly chanted for Mello after the bell. Braun took the title from the referee. He stared down Trick for a second, but he ultimately dapped up Mello, handed him the title, and raised his arm. And then Vic Joseph capped the entire show with a perfect line from a Casanova to the NXT champion. Carmelo Hayes is him. And Mello's ring name before he joined NXT when he was on the independence was Christian Casanova, hence why that was perfect. Now, I wouldn't necessarily say the match itself met expectations, as I were thinking that they would be able to approach an A plus based on their talent level, the feud quality, and the storyline. But there's no doubt it was strong from bell to bell. It took a little to get going. Once it did, the action was solid. The booking of the finish was smart as Trick's cheating gave Braun a bit of an excuse, but he nevertheless recovered, which allowed Mello to still win pretty much on his own by countering one of Breaker's finishing moves into his own signature and then hitting his own finisher. That made the title win feel legitimate despite the interference. What I didn't like was 
Mello tapping out first. That made him look unnecessarily weak when you're about to crown a brand new champion. And if they had just done the belt shot 15 seconds earlier, it would have had the exact same effect without him looking weak. But even though Breaker did stare down Trick after the bell, I mean, he still raised the arm of a guy who basically cheated to beat him, even if nothing Mello did was cheating. Like, Mello didn't help uh, him out of the torture rack. Mello didn't purposely spear the referee or didn't um, run himself into the referee. But that's just what Braun did, and they both fell backwards, and it happened. And Mello didn't do the belt shot to the back of the head, nor did he tell Trick to do it. Yet, all of that did happen in due course. So Braun, nevertheless, raised the arm of a guy who cheated to beat him. And why did he do that? To be a bigger man, to pass the torch? It felt like a send-off moment for Breaker. And that's not an ideal development either. As we've said before, he is just not ready for the main roster. He has no experience working as a heel. He has no experience working without a title. He's not a good promo as it is. He only has like one knob on the dial, which is full passion and extreme uh, energy. And that's all it is. So he he has to develop his character more. He has to develop his in-ring presence more. It did feel, though, like it was a send-off moment. So we'll see if that actually happens. But beyond that, the main roster doesn't need him at all. There's no spot for him right now. So I hope this is more time off and not a call-up. But we'll have to see what the booking is in the future. I'd have much preferred if Breaker clotheslined the life out of Mello while he was raising his arm. That would be a heel turn. And then he could challenge for the title at Battleground in May, and Mello would beat him again. And then Braun could go on and do something else. Anyway, in terms of a match grade, this one is really tough. I probably need to rewatch it again and soak it in a little bit more. But I went 3.5 stars and a B. There was just no build to the finish, not much of a match story. And as the main event coming after two bangers and a damn good ladder match also on the show, it was the fourth best thing on the card. And that should not have been the case. Really, Braun and Mello both disappointed in their last singles matches. And then they also, I don't want to say they disappointed here, but they fell below expectation here. And that's odd because both of them were on fire before it. So 3.5 stars and a B. If I watch it back, I could maybe see getting to a B plus, but it just didn't hit my expectation level. And that's unfortunate because it was a good moment for Mello ultimately winning the title. The women's championship was on the line in a six-woman ladder match. Roxanne Perez defending against Zoe Stark, Tiffany Stratton, Lyra Valkyria, Gigi Dolan, and Indy Hartwell. This opened the show, which at first was a bit surprising, as I thought the North American title match would be in that spot. But it made more sense because the unsanctioned match was so weapon-heavy that you didn't want to have these two matches close to each other. All the women got vignettes on the kickoff show, but there was nothing more about Roxy's clearance. She just wrestled and was fine the entire time. Stark had a great flip out of a Stratton Hurricanrana. Lyra murdered Indy with a dropkick into her holding the ladder outside. Stark caught Stratton with a running neckbreaker off the apron. That interrupted an attempted slingshot of Hartwell. Dolan did a ladder helicopter, then dodged Stark, who flew into Valkyria laying on a ladder. Stratton caught Dolan off a ladder, rolling her forward into another ladder for a really loud bump. Hartwell then caught Stratton for a spinebuster on a ladder, but she missed the one that was laying flat on the canvas and seemed to nail Tiffany's head into the corner of another ladder that was propped up on the ropes. She got checked out at ringside and was deemed okay to return. She seemed fine. Stark then hit her seated springboard corkscrew on Hartwell into a ladder plus Z360 to knock Indy out of the ring. Roxy caught a Z360 attempt and countered into Pop Rocks 
only for Stratton to escape Pop Rocks, but get hurricaneed outside the ring. Perez got two hands on the title, but was pulled down by Dolan, who swung her into a ladder three times and then hit her rolling pump bomb finisher. Stark and Hartwell got drop kicked through the ropes into a ladder outside. Dolan tossed Valkyria off the ladder and came one hand away from winning the championship when suddenly J.C. Jane returned to action, ran up the ladder, and pushed her backwards. Dolan fell straight into a horizontal elevated ladder. Stratton climbed to the top, only to get pushed over the ropes by Hartwell for a swan dive into three other women. They barely cushioned her fall. It was rough. She landed straight on her back. So that's two moves that she took on her back and neck in this match that just really rough, and neither of them were her fault. Uh, Hartwell kept trying to climb, but she was unable to take advantage of this situation that she's created due to a rib injury that she suffered during the match, and she was distraught on the bottom rungs of the ladders, seeing this big opportunity slip away from her, when suddenly, Dexter Loomis appeared at ringside, slid underneath her, and lifted her on his shoulders up the ladder to grab the title and become the new NXT champion. This is one of those finishes where even if you don't love it in kayfabe, a babyface cheating to win, which is exactly what happened here, the emotional storytelling element of Indy finally getting her flowers via assist from her man who came through in her lowest moment, that overcomes the other aspect of it. The action was great throughout this match. The crowd was low energy, as I mentioned before, due to the time. All in all, it fell short of, I would say, being great or memorable other than the finish, but it had really strong elements throughout. The only notable mistakes led to Stratton getting hurt. And like I said earlier, neither of them was her fault. It was just really unfortunate. Hopefully she's okay. Huge congrats to Indy getting her chance to be on top after three years and three months in NXT. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus, And I would be remiss if I did not mention a really sweet moment that happened at the end of the match. Right as Indy grabbed the title, the camera panned to the women who were down at ringside having taken like the ladder bump. And Roxy had a huge smile on her face, presumably really happy that her friend got her shine. And also on Twitter, Bailey and Damage Control, they're close with Indy Hartwell. I believe Indy helped Bailey uh, get ready in her return to action after her knee injury. They were watching on uh, Bailey's phone and were just super excited for Indy to win. So Indy is well liked in the locker room. This is a huge opportunity for her. You know, we've been talking about there was a time period where once the way left NXT and Gargano left and Candice left and all that. Indy was kind of in no man's land and the gimmick wasn't so much working and the wrestling actually had taken a step back. And over the last couple of months, she has really picked all of that up. The question now is, as an NXT Women's Champion, is she going to be able to soar with that title? This is the opportunity that we've wanted for her, that she's wanted for herself, and the proof is going to be in the pudding. We will see what happens on NXT television and going forward. Johnny Gargano fought Grayson Waller in an unsanctioned match. Waller got an Instagram live entrance while Gargano got an emotional video package. Candice LeRae and Quill were ringside, and as soon as Gargano entered, he super kicked Waller, threw him over the announce table into Booker T, and hit a slingshot spear back inside. Waller caught him on a tope suicida with a trash can lid to the head. Gargano vertically suplexed Waller off the apron into a bed of standing chairs. Waller countered another slingshot spear with a pumped knee. Then he tuned up the band like HBK, only to eat a rebound Canadian destroyer off the apron. Waller jumped over a setup table for a rolling stunner, which he followed with a powerbomb into that table and a sidewalk slam into a chair. Waller then beat Gargano with a kendo stick and he started taunting Candice and Quill at ringside. Gargano avoided a concerto into the steel steps and beat Waller with a kendo stick. Candice then 
handed Quill to a friend, said, hey, take her backstage, jumped over the barricade and absolutely destroyed Waller with the same kendo stick until he eventually caught it in his arm. But when he did that, Gargano came back from behind with another kendo stick shot to the back. He added one final beat, and that was a false finish. Then he locked in Gargano escape, but Waller raked his eyes, took out Johnny's knee, and hit a flip over on Prettier. Waller then hit a perfect Van Terminator on Gargano for a 2.99. He put Johnny on the announce table for a flying elbow drop. Gargano got up, threw a chair at his head, then powerbombed him off the apron through that table. Waller caught Gargano with a low blow and another rolling stunner. There were dual chants. Waller called back to you know what he originally did to Gargano, the original sin, with chair shots and trash talk. So Gargano low-blowed him back. Again, it's an unsanctioned match. Then he wore him out with a chair. Then Johnny put a chair around Waller's neck, hit it like a swinging a baseball bat with another chair, spinning the chair around his neck, knocked him on the canvas, locked in Gargano escape, and got the submission victory. As they were celebrating on stage, Gargano and Candice, Indy and Dexter came out for a surprise. I don't think they knew that was going to happen with big hugs and a celebration. And Candice hugged Indy really tight like a proud mother. It was a super cool moment. So this, uh, if you can't tell, was great. In fact, it was a show stealer. In fact, there's another word for that. Banger. This was a banger. Gargano is so damn good. So damn consistent. Waller was also fantastic here. He took an absolute beating and his back was all bruised up and scarred from the kendo sticks and the chair shots. The storytelling was completely on point, playing into both halves of their feud, what happened when Gargano went away and then obviously what has now happened when he came back. The entire hold my baby moment from Candice got a great pop and I really hope that WWE, the main roster, capitalizes on this momentum for both her and Johnny going into Raw because they were the stars of this show. You know you're going to get false finish spam in a Gargano match, but they didn't go too crazy here. And an unsanctioned match lends itself to that better than a regular match. This was a more appropriate Gargano send-off from NXT compared to that War Games match. So that one was great as well, but this was appropriately his last NXT match. Hopefully that, that's actually the case. The finish here was also pretty awesome. I love the way they did it. Waller was able to look strong by only submitting after major damage and a finisher that took advantage of that damage to his neck and his back. There's a Kia song about that. We're not going to do the lyric. Uh, not to mention the Candice interference was a lot of fun too. Uh, Waller was well protected. Gargano came out looking like a beast. Beautiful match. 4.5 stars and an A. Waller should probably be a SmackDown call-up. You get him on the main roster, but away from Miz and Gargano. That would be the move. I could see possibly making this a 4.75 A-plus match on a rewatch, but I think 4.5 A is where this deserves to be. It was just absolutely dynamite from bell to bell. Speaking of that, the North American Championship was on the line in a fatal five-way match. Wesley against Dragon Lee, J.D. McDonough, Isla Dragunov, and Axiom. This was still called an open challenge, even though it was a closed challenge with Wesley picking his challengers. NXT and AEW really need to get a handle on this term. Uh, Dragon Lee's entrance was unique, but it came across like it was buffering on purpose. They really need to work on like smoothing that out. It was interesting, but not perfect. Um, he landed awkwardly early in the match on his shoulder. And that was during, it was like a half botched Spanish fly with McDonough. Isla grabbed the referee's arm to prevent a count for JD, who ate stereo super kicks from the luchadors. Dragunov hit a Death Valley driver 
on Wes into Dragon in the corner. Dragon did a hanging coup de gras to the outside and then sold an injured knee on the landing. I actually thought he hurt himself, so that was a really good sell. Axiom hit an awesome double Northern Light suplex on Isla and JD. That after a flipping Lariat DDT combination on them. Dragunov powerbombed Axiom into McDonough, who was in a rear naked choke with Dragon. That led to a stacked pinfall attempt, but Wesley broke the entire thing with a flying corkscrew. Wes then went for his cardiac kick, only to eat a golden ratio mid-flip in a six spot. Dragon got Wes with a Liger bomb. McDonough uranagi Axiom into Dragon, adding a standing moonsault for a broken fall. Dragon hurricaneered Wes off the apron into JD. Isla superplexed Axiom from the apron out of the corner and hit a falling punch for a broken fall. Wes took a kick from Isla and bumped himself by falling on his head. Dragon then sold a lariat almost the exact same way. And then came the finish when Isla hit Torpedo Moscow on Dragon, while Wes Lee simultaneously hit him with the cardiac kick to get the one, two, three and retain the title in 19 minutes. This was just tremendous wrestling bell to bell. The finish was inventive. I don't believe the kick actually hit Isla and that's why they didn't really replay it. That continued a frustrating trend of near misses on this entire show, which could actually be chalked up to the time. You know, people, they warm up throughout the day, they get ready and and loose. And when you're having a a kickoff or a beginning of a show at 10 a.m. local, their bodies aren't ready for it. It's like playing a baseball game at 9 a.m. or a football game that early. You're just not used to it. So, you know, there were some misses here, that being one of them in the finish you know, it, it hurt the match slightly, but it was such a cool sequence and such an inventive sequence that it didn't ultimately matter, I think, that much. Wes emerging from a match like this, where he put himself in danger, emerging from that as champion, really speaks a lot to Shawn Michaels' belief in him. Dragunov was the MVP overall, which is absolutely no surprise. He's awesome. This match deserved a bigger and better crowd. It just wasn't loud or energetic enough. It was an A match. I'm between 4.25 and 4.5. I think I'm going to go with 4.5 here. I'm going to rewatch it at some point, probably next week, and I may adjust that grade. But between this and the unsanctioned match with Gargano and Waller, they were the two matches on the show, two best matches on the show, 1A and 1B, really in whatever order you want. I will say with Dragon Lee, he was really good in the match. I've seen him wrestle before, and he's been spectacular. I thought he was going to be spectacular here, and he wasn't. Maybe that's getting used to the style. Maybe it's because there were so many people in the match, and many of them that he fought with, or not many of them, a couple of them that he fought with perhaps couldn't match him from an athletic standpoint. But I thought we were going to get a sequence with Dragon Lee and Wesley that was going to blow our minds, and we just never got that. So that was a little bit surprising. But that was really the only detriment on the entire match. Uh, The Women's Tag Team Championship was on the line. Fallon Henley and Kiana James against Alba Fire and Isla Dawn. Fire hit a flying senton on the champions outside before the bell. The heels took down Henley with a double face buster. James prevented a double superplex and instead powerbombed Fire with a dropkick from Henley off the ropes for a near fall. James asked for her purse, but Briggs convinced Jensen not to give it to her because they didn't want to cheat. That led to Henley getting knocked off the apron and Fire hitting a backstabber elevated swanton bomb on James, with the heels becoming the new champions in nine minutes. The Fire Dawn finisher was actually great. And as you know, I believe this title change was more than necessary. We've discussed this for weeks. The finishing sequence fit in storyline, except the focus has recently been on James cheating physically with other men, 
not her cheating to win matches. So it just felt out of place calling back to their championship win, which hasn't really been addressed in weeks or months, however long it's been. NXT should have been having them cheating to win multiple matches in the lead up with Henley angry about that. Instead, they focused the cheating on the relationship, which didn't play into the match. The work here was actually pretty solid, the wrestling. But just like the men's tag team title match that we're about to discuss, throwing both of these on the card and giving them eight to nine minutes each was worthless when they could have had, could have just picked a singular feud and given it 15 minutes, whether it's one of these two or whether it was a totally different feud altogether. The highlight was the title change with Henley and James becoming transitional champions who never should have won the titles in the first place. We've talked about that. It's also the first time that Fire has gotten a real push since moving to the United States for this NXT roster. But I didn't think the match was anything better than average. 2.5 stars and a C. Uh, the men's tag team championship, Gallus against the Creed Brothers and the D'Angelo family in a triple threat. We got appropriate rules with three legal men at the same time. Always a plus. Daniel Cormier was in the front row to cheer on the Creeds. Brutus took a double Uranagi from Gallus. Stax completely missed a running senton, literally whiffing. Uh, he didn't even come close to touching them. He landed on his back outside. Julius wound up with two dudes stacked on his shoulders, but Brutus completely missed a Brutus bomb. That was to the outside as well. He barely touched Stax in the shoulder. Then Joe Coffey returned to break up a pinfall. Tony D'Angelo sacrificed himself, eating a discus lariat outside from Joe as Gallus retained the titles, hitting their finisher on Stax. This went eight minutes, and as I've said before, it just did not belong on Stand and Deliver. The biggest spot of the match was botched. The Creeds probably had one of their worst performances in a match. And while the crowd did make noise for Coffey's return, which is a little surprising, everything we got here was just mediocre. And as I've been saying for months, Gallus is just incredibly boring. They do not fit this NXT at all. D'Angelo was probably the MVP of the t entire thing. He was on fire. I'm going to say 2.5 stars and a C for this as well. Put it on the same level as the women's match. Though I bet if I watch them back to back, I might actually downgrade this to 2.25 stars and a C. Either way, they were both average matches that didn't feel like they needed to be on the show. And it was frustrating. Later backstage, Stax was in his feelings when Pretty Deadly, which hosted the entire night, but didn't actually do anything. They walked in to give them shit. This was a nice quick few development, and they're going to have a TV match next week on Tuesday. And lastly, as we hoped, Chase U and Tyler Bate against Schism for control of Chase U was indeed put on the kickoff show. So that was a positive development. This was generic to start. Ava tagged in and out to tease the crowd when she got the first ring action of her entire career. It was unspectacular. Thea Hale completely showed out in this match instead of her. Hale later caught Rip Fowler with a great tornado DDT. We got a false finish with Duke Hudson accidentally booting Bate, only for Andre Chase to break the fall after Gacy's handspring lariat finisher. Dyad then took out Chase with a backbreaker, and Ava hit Thea with Wasteland. Hudson stood off against Schism, one on four, only for Gacy to whisper in his ear and then offer a Schism shirt. Hudson removed his Chase U shirt, put on the Schism shirt, and got hugged by all four of them. And as they were about to go five on three against Chase U, he slowly moved behind them, ripped off the shirt, got a nice pop. Uh, Chase U and Bate all did stereo bop and bangs. Then Chase U all did stereo stomps before Chase and Hudson hit the great flatliner finisher to get the win and remain in control of Chase U. This was exactly what it needed to be. You knew that they would work Hudson into the match story and it was executed perfectly. The wrestling was nothing special. Hale was probably the MVP. She just continued showing a high level of development. 
Ava, really rough, looked unathletic despite having been in the PC for a pretty long time at this point. But she had significant injuries that have derailed her development. So I'm not really going to judge her on anything. There's a reason why she hasn't really wrestled. And there's a reason why she only wrestled so much in this match. I went three stars and a B minus for this, mostly from a storytelling aspect. If it was purely based on wrestling, it'd probably be a little bit lower in the C plus range. But nevertheless, three stars and a B minus. So that is the analysis of the results from NXT Stand and Deliver. Let's go ahead and grade the entire show. First, let's discuss the pre-show expectation grade. I gave it a B plus. I thought the card was strong. The matches would be solid, but it would find difficulties reaching that A level. So when I gave that grade on the Ultimate Preview Show, I said it was an 87 out of 100. And your poll votes on Twitter at Getting Overcast came back 27% A, 67% B, 3% C, and 3% D to F. That averages out to a 3.668, rounded up a 3.7, which guess what? Is an 87 out of 100. So we weren't just on the exact same page going into the show. We were on the exact same line. That was pretty cool to see. Now, in terms of a post-show grade, the crowd was brutal, as we already discussed. It absolutely took away from the show. That affected the individual match grades and probably my overall grade as well. The crowd response does play a part in all of that. It cannot be denied, and it does affect you as a viewer. Now, when it comes to a post-show grade, figuring this out is actually going to be a little bit tough. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to your grade first on our Twitter poll again, at Getting Overcast. I'm going to see what you did. Then maybe it'll help me along with what my final grade will be. So looking at your percentages, 42.7% of respondents, we'll round that, we'll say 43%, said this was an A show. 53% said it was a B, 3% a C, and 1% D to F. Obviously, it was not a D or F show, so we just toss that out. That doesn't really matter. That would average out, uh, doing the math in my head, to about a 3.87%. And I lied, I of course did not do that in my head, but a 3.87 rounds up to a 3.9. So you all were a very high B plus on this show. And I just don't really know that I can get there. It, I guess it depends on whether I want to weight the grade to the important matches. Because if you do that, then the four biggest matches of the show, and again, when I do the grades, it's not necessarily an addition, an average of my match grades. It's really about the entertainment value of the entire show. But if I was to do that, right, it's four, five, uh, four, five, a 3.75 for the women's ladder match and a 3.5, that's really high. Um, but then again, let's not forget, I have two matches that I gave flat C's, 2.5 stars, both tag team matches. And then the kickoff show, which doesn't necessarily have to count. That was a flat B. I do think the weight of the four biggest matches all delivering probably breaks the tie that I was on because I was kind of flirting between a B and a B plus. But when you have two matches that are flat A's on the show and you get the title changes that you wanted, there were two changes that we needed on the show. Carmelo Hayes winning the NXT championship and Fallon Henley and uh, Keanu James losing the NXT Women's Tag Team Championship to Alba Fire and Isla Dawn. Both of those had to happen. Both of them did happen. Then on top of that, we got the great moment for Indy Hartwell and we got Gargano beating Waller, which is exactly what needed to happen. So I think when you combine the entertainment value of the show, the match quality and the delivered results being the ones that we needed, not so much 
as fans, but to move NXT forward, they were all the right decisions. Then yeah, I'm going to go ahead, bump it up. Uh, I'll give it an 87 out of 100. I'll give it a B plus, a little bit lower than all of you. Uh, I thought it was a very damn good show. I think it met expectations. That's really the most important part of the entire thing. It met my expectations, but it did not exceed them. I thought it did have a chance to do that. It ultimately did not do that. So uh, B plus expectation going in, B plus grade coming out. That is a successful NXT stand and deliver show. And it is just the kickoff of WrestleMania 39 weekend. We had a solid SmackDown on Friday, a really good WWE Hall of Fame ceremony. I should note, we do have some quick analysis from that SmackDown on buymeacoffee.com slash getting over for members and supporters. It's a 10-minute audio. You get to listen to that. We'll probably start doing those after television shows. Not sure about this coming week because I will be away from home, but really the week after that, we will start doing some of those quick Twitch five-minute audios immediately coming after shows separate from these major podcast episodes that, of course, we will always do right here on the feed. But the point is, SmackDown was good. The WWE Hall of Fame was borderline great. It was very entertaining. And then we get NXT Stand and Deliver really kicking some ass here to kick off Saturday. And we still have WrestleMania 39 to come. Very excited at what we still have to do here for you on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. As you can tell, the Silver King is trying to get out of this show as quickly as he can to give me a little bit of time to relax before the first night of WrestleMania 39. So quickly, on the way out here, a reminder of what is still coming up on Getting Over. Saturday night, later tonight, as you are listening to this show, we will have WWE WrestleMania 31 Night 1 Instant Analysis. We'll be doing the exact same thing Sunday after Night 2 as soon as that show is over. And we will have pre-shows for both live on Twitter Spaces at Getting Overcast. And we wrap up seven podcasts in eight days on Tuesday with a Raw after WrestleMania show. I appreciate all of you listening to this episode. Please don't forget on the way out with the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It's all about the five. So leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star rating on Spotify. If you leave a written review anywhere, we will read it live right here on the show. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can vote in all these polls. You can get the episode drops, and you can join us for the live shows on Twitter Spaces. Plenty more audio coming into your ear holes before the weekend is out. At this point, the Silver King is going to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.